they didn't have the same thing for breakfast every morning, I wouldn't know what I had last Sunday. Um, so that's why when we have these lessons, I like to back up and backtrack a little bit and build up some momentum and then bolt into the new text. Um, as you recall, we've looked back beginning at Revelation 4, the throne room of God and John's visions as they were revealed to us uh, in 4 and 5. We saw seals that were opened by the Lamb of God on the throne, and those seals revealed a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and a pale horse. And the white horse is quite interesting. It sounds like the white horse and the red horse are very similar in what they do. So we have to make some distinction about who they may be. Um, there are many who interpret the white horse being God or Christ himself. He has the authority, I believe we mentioned this last week, he has the authority over this whole world to orchestrate judgment, he is in control of all things, even, even things that we consider bad, or things that we should avoid, or things that we fear. Isaiah 45, some people have really struggled with this text. Isaiah 45, beginning of verse 5, going to 7. I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Here he is declaring through the prophet Isaiah his sovereign authority and what he does for all people. There is no other God but Him. And He is the one who equips each and every one of us that people may know throughout all of history God's people are meant to proclaim who the true God is. But then look at verse 7. I form light and create darkness. Of course, we understand that. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. I make well-being and I create calamity. But then in Revelation, we see the white horse released when that first seal is open. It's describing God overseeing all the calamity in this world because this world has been in rebellion against him ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. And we, if you remember when we began this study, looking at those four, four horses, we saw that the war, the famine, and death has been in every generation. And then the fifth seal was opened and John saw the saints in heaven. 
under God's throne, and they were calling out to God in prayer, asking when might they be avenged, and God waited, or God told them to wait until the last of their number would join them. There were martyrs to be made. There were saints who would die for the faith. And then the sixth seal was opened, and we saw how there was a great overarching calamity. The end of the world is described. And you will notice as we move through these judgments, they are reciprocal. They are descriptions of the same thing going on from different viewpoints. So in... Four and five, we see these seals opened. These, all of these things are from the viewpoint of the earth looking up into heaven. These words are supposed to be consolation for the saints to understand that God is in control and that his saints are being protected. When that seventh seal is opened, we see the revelation of seven trumpets. And those first four trumpets parallel pretty much the first four seals. Except for this point of view is from heaven looking down upon the earth. This is for the judgment upon the lost. Something I failed to mention in the description of the first of the seals. There was a time where the saints in heaven are numbered. 144,000 representing of people who cannot be numbered. They are protected. God holds everything back until all of them are brought in. So those first seven seals, or the first six seals, are talking about comfort, encouragement to give to the saints on earth. And these seven trumpets are a proclamation of judgment of all those in rebellion. The first seal talks about hail and fire and blood being thrown down on the earth. An angel was given a bowl of incense filled it with incense and smoke and cast it upon the earth and it described judgment much like judgment upon the land of Egypt where the Egyptians kept Israel in bondage and a third of the earth a third of the trees a third of the grass a third of the earth, the vegetation described here as being burned and done away with then there is a great mountain in the second trumpet thrown into the sea and the sea becomes blood there is a contrast between the second and third seals or second and third trumpet because here we see borrowing from Old Testament literature and even Hebrews the book of Hebrews God has been repeatedly described as a mountain We get that depiction of Mount Sinai. God was there on the mountain. So Israel began talking about God as a mountain. The psalmist, 121, 
talks about God as being a high mountain. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So here is this great mountain cast upon the earth, God himself judging the earth and causing a third of the seas to become like blood. And the contrast comes in the third trumpet. We looked at this last week. A star fell from heaven. That star being Lucifer himself. Um, And the curse he brings is bitterness. He's described as wormwood. All the rivers, all the fresh water is cursed. Or excuse me, not all, but a third of the water, a third of the rivers, a third of the lakes. All of that is turned bitter. And then the fourth trumpet, a third of the solar light, the angels that fell with him. This becomes judgment upon man. Now, it's not something we look forward to. We have to understand this as something that's already taken place because we know from Scripture it has already taken place. And at the outset of the book of Revelation, I said that it would help very much if we realized that this book is telling us what happened and why it happened. Much like the flight recorders in an airplane crash are retrieved to find out what happened and why it happened. It's because of man's sin and man's rebellion that all of judgment is placed upon the earth. And it's not something that we look forward to, it's something that has been going on. so far? Chapter 9 of Revelation. And again, we're kind of building up some, we'll get, try and get a little bit further this morning. The fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw the star fallen. This is what we're just talking about. Fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who have not been who have not the seal of God on their foreheads. So all of those who were lost, all of those who were not saved. God is directing Satan to judge them all. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was not was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will not flee, will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. 
They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and those and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. So their time is limited. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard the voice of four horns on the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who has the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the river Euphrates, though the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. If you remember chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 7, back into the time of the sealed saints and the numbering of the 144,000. After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back their four winds, the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun and the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So these four angels were told to wait. They were prepared to bring judgment, to release judgment, but they said, wait. We get to this sixth seal, or the sixth trumpet, And it's time to release those angels. Yes. Yes. Yes, this is... Yes. Yes. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard the number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lions' heads of fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of, that, of them they wound. The rest of mankind were not killed 
who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood who, which cannot see or heal or walk, hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their theft. So God has given orders to release four angels upon the earth. And as I have said, we have been seeing judgment, God's judgment upon sin throughout the ages, but it does escalate as we get closer to the Lord. And much of this, what we are reading described here, will come to pass right near His coming. But it's going to be a spiritual, very much a spiritual event. I don't know, I cannot say that we will see Locusts that look like with scorpions' tails, and I don't think we're going to see horses with breastplates and fiery sulfur coming out of the mouths with tails that look like serpents with heads on their tails. But this is a terrible, frightening judgment upon those who are lost. And you would think that someone would see something like that coming after them, and they would. When King Belteshazzar of Babylon saw the handwriting on the wall in the book of Daniel, he became so terrified, the Bible says that his knees knocked together. He trembled in fear. But God says in Revelation, these people are so rebellious that they will not even repent when they see God's judgment pouring out upon them. You remember the, some people say it's a parable. I don't believe it was a parable. I think the Lord was giving us a glimpse into glory or the hereafter. The rich man and Lazarus, he talked about the rich man who was wealthy, who lived in a fine home, and outside of his gate was a poor man named Lazarus who would beg every day, and the flies would land on his and, and the rich man never paid him much care at all. Lazarus died and went to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and went to Hades. He called out to Father Abraham, send the message to my brothers to bring me some water. I said, Abraham told him they have Moses and the prophets let them read them. No, but if someone would go and tell them that if someone will come back from the dead and tell people about the Lord, they would not believe it. And that's the kind of rebellion we see in the hearts of the lost. And that's how bad it is getting today. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent or give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their theft. 
Him. Another mysterious vision. John said, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. Sounds odd. But it's not. He is singing, he is seeing another vision of Christ himself. Look back in Ezekiel 1, the description of the Lord coming in his, I believe it is his war chariot. He is surrounded by a rainbow. We read Revelation 4 and 5 describing the throne room of heaven. His throne is surrounded by a rainbow. And here we read again in Revelation 1, John describes Christ, his vision, his first vision of Christ, very similar to this. Without the rainbow, his face was like the sun, his legs were pillars of fire. He's describing Christ, another vision of Christ. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on land. He has authority and control over all. And called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and not to write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet call, to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Um, just as a cross-reference, he called out with verse 3, Revelation 10, he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. Um, John 12. of John 12. Now is, this is the Lord speaking, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. 
so there is a tying together of what Christ did on the cross with what is being foretold or spoken about here. Seven thunders in God's vision bring us back to what Christ accomplished on the cross. The ruler of this world is cast out. The seven thunders are a declaration of God's authority and God's sovereign power over all things. And he also said in John's Gospel that these thunders are for your sake. So only some people heard and understood it. And we're not given full clarity here either, but it's apparently, it's only revealed, what is said here is only revealed to those who believe, to the sealed and not to the unsealed. The angel who, verse 5, the angel, again, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it and the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call of the sound to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to the seven prophets. Verse 8, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me a little, the little scroll. And he said to me, Take, eat, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And as I told, was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So God is giving John the commission to proclaim his word. God's word is sweet. We we do understand that, but it's a message. There is a bitterness to its message because as it brings redemption and cleansing to the believers, it brings judgment and damnation to the lost. And that is something that should break the heart of the believer as well. We should have compassion for them we should be motivated to warn them, to share the gospel with them, even though they may not receive it. They need to know. Chapter 11. Then I was given, given a measuring rod like a staff and was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave out, leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for forty-two months. Here again is a text where John is asked to measure something. 
He's been given a vision in the earlier chapters of Revelation to number the people. That was 144,000. And they were described as a number that could not be counted. So here again, he is given orders by the Lord to measure the temple. What is the temple? Is it a structure? Or is it the bride? He's talking again about the sealed saints, the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. And we'll see this again a few more times in throughout the book. So we want to open up our eyes to understand these things. He's not talking about a structure. But he is reverting back or looking back to the prophet Ezekiel where the Lord himself came down to the temple and gave Ezekiel orders to measure that physical structure on earth. He gave him a rod and told him to measure that temple. What he was doing there was showing how inadequate the temple was in the Old Testament, how inadequate the people of God were in the Old Testament. The Israelites were because they had been in rebellion. They had sinned. They had become idolaters. And when God leaves the temple in Ezekiel chapter 10, he never dwells in an earthly place again. He would occasionally, before then, come down to the Holy Holy of Holies on Atonement Day. But he never did that again. His dwelling place, because of what Christ Jesus has done, is now in the hearts of his people. His bride, his church. Do not measure the court outside the temple court of the Gentiles is what it was called in the Old Testament. The court of the nations. The court in here we can interpret as the court of unbelievers. Leave that out for it is given over to the nations as they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are two olive trees and two lampstands. These two witnesses are described as olive trees and lampstands. Um, and they are a picture of the presence and the Spirit of God. There are a lot of interpreters who have read this and thought, oh, well, in the last days there are going to be two very powerful preachers that have come. We have to be very careful what we declare it, or, or we will miss it when it happens. The power and the presence of God will be rejected in such a way that people will not recognize His power or His presence. Um... Zechariah chapter 4.
chapter 4, Zechariah, um, let's look at the first six verses. The angel of the Lord, the angel who talked to me, came again and woke me like a man who was wakened out of sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and one on its left. And I said to the angel who walked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord of Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So, in John's vision, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is invoking visions from the Old Testament to connect with a New Testament believer. The olive trees and the lampstands, the two witnesses that represent the two witnesses are the presence and the power of the Lord. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out of the mouth and consumes their their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. Now, this is something that has not yet happened, but will eventually happen. We're not sure how it will play out. But those who forsake or refuse the, the, the word of the Lord and his presence will be judged by fire. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, and they have the power over waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth and every kind of plague as often as they desire. So we're getting another vision of final days, last days judgment. Verse 7, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days some from the peoples and the tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in the tomb and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after three days, excuse me, after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on them who saw them then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and the tenth of the city fell. Seven 
thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to God, to the God of heaven. Now, I don't know that I can declare who these are other than the presence and the Spirit of God. Proclaimed through His church, proclaimed through His word in the world. And the people of this world just reject them. And when they finally get the church to shut up through persecution, through restriction, it's for a very limited time. And God withdraws, in a sense, His Holy Spirit. And they are as dead. And the people are celebrating. They're giving gifts. It's like Christmas. Think of the resurrection. Christ dying on the cross. His power and His presence leaving this world for three days. And then He's alive again. It's going to happen again. In the power and the presence of God. In this time, it won't be for redemption. It will be for judgment. Verse 14, The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has come, the kingdom of our Lord and Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding of servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So as we see these trumpets blown, we see again God's judgment upon this earth and then finally great victory over the end of it all. Each one time we look at these, these new views we're going to see bowls we're going to see other sets of judgments upon the earth it escalates. Another viewpoint another look from another point of view in order that we might see this again, see it in completion, see it in perfection, so that we might understand what God is doing, what He has been doing, and what He will do. Is this still confusing? Does it make sense? Pray. Father, this is a mysterious book. And it's still a little tricky to understand, but we pray that as we look at this together, we might be encouraged 
to understand a little bit more about what has been going on in this world that we might discern light from darkness and what will happen that we might know to follow the truth and stay away from evil. And that we might be reassured that our souls by your grace and mercy have been sealed and protected and kept. Isaiah reminds us that the name of your bride is written in the palm of your hand. And we are that bride. Your Spirit, encourage us, Lord. Help us to be faithful to you, rejoicing each and every day. In Christ's name, amen.